The Truth News Network. A football quarterback takes a knee to thank the Lord and is excoriated for it. A football coach takes a knee on the field to give thanks and is fired. Firefighters at a Denny's bow their heads before a meal and are told you can't do that here. And a safety takes a hit on the field and just like that, it's okay to pray. Sometimes it takes a jolt to see the real truth and it takes a guide to understand it. Your guide today is Dan Newman. Do you think... The United States of America just may be, may be in for a jolt of some kind. Pete Moss talked about it takes a shocking thing to get people to see the truth. Kind of like, you know, praying in public, praying at football games. Unless something big happens, people just kind of get out on a limb with their ideas and their crazy ideology. Speaking of crazy ideology this morning, well, first of all, let me tell you hello. Welcome to TNN Live, truthnewsnet.org. We've been here now on the air for two and a half, three years. Of course, Truth News Network came into existence about seven years ago. And every day we feel like we're more appreciative of you being here, you reading our articles, sharing this show with us, And that's a special thing. Know this, we never take you for granted. Never do we take you for granted. All that being said, isn't it really, it's sad that it takes something bid, something bad, something evil to happen to us before we get slapped around enough to open our eyes and see the truth. Wow, there is so much of that around us. In just a little bit, we're going to go to Davos, Switzerland. Yeah, that's where the World Economic Forum is happening. Wealthiest people on the planet. The wealthiest people on the planet that everyone thinks they are the most powerful person on the planet. And they talk like that. They act like that. And they come up with the stupidest stuff to talk about and tell us, everyday citizens of the world, You've got to listen to us and do this or don't do that because if you don't do this or you do that, we're all going to die and we're all going to die. The world's going to end because of you. You, don't you dare look at us flying in on more than 200 private jets from around the world into a little bitty town, Davos, Switzerland. It's so small that these corporate jets, personal jets, flying into Davos, the wealthiest people on the planet, they can't even fly into Davos. They have to fly into an airport about an hour away, and then they helicopter over to Davos for the World Economic Forum. You're going to hear directly from that. You're going to hear from John Kerry. You're going to hear from Al Gore, and you're going to hear from Jesse Waters, (laughs) and Dave Rubin, some really thoughtful, thinking, conscious people that are looking at the world through your prism and my prism, not the prism of those really rich people at Davos, Switzerland. We've got a lot to talk about today. Our debt limit expired last night. What are we going to do? We don't have any money, and we can't borrow any more money 
until Congress decides. They gotta give us they gotta give us a new credit card so we can go spend some more money that we don't have. And that the American people are somehow gonna have to come up with a way to pay for. We're here with you today.
so nothing's going to stop us now. That's a great thought for a love song. That's Chicago. But it's also what Eric Swalwell is griping about today. Eric Swalwell, that great Democrat from California. He is a leader in Congress wannabe. He'll never be a leader in Congress. Never. He's the guy that got involved with that Chinese spy named Fang Fang for short. And he had her in his offices. A congressman has a Chinese spy working in his office in D.C., which meant she saw everything. Everything that he saw when he was in Congress, where he still is, but she was an aide and just disappeared overnight, literally, when everybody found out who she really was. Well, as we face our debt limit increase debacle, Swalwell weighed in with the answer yesterday. Now, remember, we have a new Congress. In the 118th Congress, the Republican Party holds the majority. Here's what the Democrat from California said yesterday. The greatest asset that Russia has now would be a Republican Party that is unwilling to help Ukraine. Now, he's talking to MSNBC host Nicole Wallace. So there's a lot on the line here. Democrats are united to deliver the votes to overcome the House majority of Republicans and just go ahead, sign another blank check, fund Ukraine and all of those easy come-and-get-money deals that our Congress has been doing for years now. It's all pork. It's meaningless. Ukraine, we all feel sorry for the Ukrainian people. We do. They are under siege, have been now over a year. Think about that. A year being in war, being invaded by a neighboring country, Russia. We feel for the Ukrainian people. And we've sent them more than anybody else on the planet, pretty much more than the other countries' aids added up. And yeah, we're going to send them some more money. But here's a novel idea. We don't owe Ukraine anything. What we're giving them is coming from the hearts of the American people. Our representatives see and feel what we think. And they're sending money in aid. But, there's always a but, isn't there? But, where's that money gone to? Well, don't get nasty, Dan. It went to help all the Ukrainian people. We hope it did. But just remember who Ukraine is. It has always been known as the most corrupt, financially corrupt nation on the planet. And so all the evildoers, I'm talking about syndicates, criminal organizations, governments that steal from their people, almost every one of those entities that I just mentioned, and even more, they always find a way to clean their money by cleaning it going through Ukraine. Ukraine has always been a financially evil country. I don't know if they're still in that mode, but just to make sure, 
We've given them already more than $100 billion. Why don't you guys give us a spreadsheet that shows where you've spent the money that we sent to you? I will bet you, if anybody in D.C. has the chutzpah to push that and make it happen before we send them more, if that would happen, we would find out the spreadsheet would be pretty blank in a lot of places. We know at least the first big batch of Ukrainian money from the United States, it went as cryptocurrency. Hmm. And it went through that evil exchange that has been busted. Sam Bankman-Fried's mother is heavily involved with Bill and Hillary Clinton and the Clinton Foundation. The chairman of the SEC, close personal friends, he's the one that gave Sam Bankman-Fried's exchange a total green light, gave him a free pass card, get out of jail. Ukraine, you put all of the people there in Ukraine, the evil through the years, all the financial wrongdoing that they do, and the government in Ukraine has always just winked at it because they've pretty much always been involved in it themselves. You put all those pieces together. I, as an American citizen, as a taxpayer, I would like to know where all that $100 billion plus that we've already given Ukraine, where'd they spend it? Did any of it end up in the pockets of anybody outside Ukraine and inside Ukraine. And I would make that a stipulation for any financial stuff that we do for them going forward. Well, I don't like to start the show every day as a downer. But before that got away, I wanted to make sure and chat with you about it, let you know where I stand, and let you know that's out there That's out there. Now, I told you we were going to go to Davos, Switzerland. Uh, Let's do this. Instead of me run down all of the stuff and all of the people and all the kind of things that are going on over there, Jesse Waters, he put it all together in a piece, and you're going to hear from John Kerry. You're going to hear from Al Gore, you know, the climate geniuses on the planet that we've been graced to have them among us, to keep us straight and talk to us about all of the necessary things to do and to acknowledge, I can't wait to hear from John Kerry and Al Gore when they acknowledge the fact that the United States of America is the only country on the planet whose green gas emissions have been reduced every year in this century, 21 years. Listen to Jesse kind of give us the facts coming out of Davos. Before we do that, do you know what Davos is all about? It's actually a get-together of the wealthiest and most powerful people on the planet. They all fly in to this little town in Davos, Switzerland. And it is a little town. It can't even the airport there hold all of the corporate jets that come in there. But it's a bunch of wealthy people that know more than you or I. And therefore, they're enlightened with information that you and I can't possibly see and even understand if we see it. Jesse and Davos. 
The rich and powerful all jetted off to beautiful Davos, Switzerland this week for the annual World Economic Forum. This is the time of year where billionaires get to rub elbows with politicians, cut insider deals off camera, and share their wacky ideas. And the wackier the idea, the better they feel about themselves. And not just anybody can get in. It's an invite-only event. You have to be somebody or know somebody to get through the door. We tried to send Johnny out to Davos, but they wouldn't credential him. And to be honest, I wouldn't credential Johnny either. And you can't just show up uninvited. Davos has 5,000 troops ready to kick you out. Zelensky's begging them to come to Ukraine, but they won't go. John Kerry needs protecting. And once you get in, they'll still divide you up by net worth. If you're rich enough, you get to flaunt around with a white badge with a shiny blue line. If you're married to somebody important, you get a plain old white badge. Or if you're just someone's escort, you get a green badge. And we'll talk about escorts later. Davos is really the one time of the year where these people get to feel really important because they don't really feel important at home. And when you stop and think about it, it's pretty extraordinary that we select group of human beings because of whatever touched us at some point in our lives are able to sit in a room and come together and um, actually talk about saving the planet. I mean, it's so almost extraterrestrial. What kind of badge does Carrie wear? Well, he's married to someone important and she's rich. So what exactly is Carrie saving us from? Chinese fentanyl, Mexican cartels, ISIS? No, he's saving us from something much deadlier, a greenhouse gas bomb. If that sounds wacky, don't worry, Al Gore verified it. And the accumulated amount is now trapping as much extra heat as would be released by 600,000 Hiroshima-class atomic bombs exploding every single day on the Earth. That's what's boiling the oceans, creating these atmospheric rivers and the rain bombs and sucking the moisture out of the land and creating the droughts and melting the ice and raising the sea level and causing these waves of climate refugees predicted to reach one billion in this century. Look at the xenophobia and political authoritarian trends that have come from just a few million refugees. What about a billion? We would lose our capacity for self-governance on this world. Al Gore could use a massage. I'm worried about him. He doesn't look very good. Never trust an angry rich guy. Bush beat both of these guys, Gore and Kerry, and look what happened to him. And what's a rain bomb? Meteorologists are supposed to coin terms like that to scare viewers for ratings. What's next? Snow nukes? Every ocean I've ever swam in has been freezing. But Al Gore and Greta Thunberg say the oceans are boiling. Over in Germany, Greta has been getting dragged out of coal mines by police over her rain bomb protests. She doesn't want one billion climate refugees. Greta wants someone to fix them. She didn't say anything about the million Ukraine refugees, but she's worried by the imaginary rain bomb refugees. Now, Greta may have staged her arrest. Democrats do that all the time. Who cares? Remember AOC acted like her hands were cuffed behind her back and then waved a fist in the air. We're sure Greta means well. She's just trying to save us from rain bombs. Not even a golf umbrella can stop them. So how exactly is the Davos gang planning on keeping Greta safe? Are they going to stop Carrie and Gore from flying private? No, no, no. At Davos, it's my plane, my choice. As you can see here in the private airport near Davos, we have multi-billionaires, 
parking up, flying in in their private jets. There's one just landed there behind me. There's another one just there parked up. And then they get in their helicopters and then they fly off from here closer to Davos. You might be able to hear there's a helicopter landing or at least approaching at some point behind me. Kerry's not giving up his PJ. None of them are. You think these people are going to bike to the World Economic Forum? Come on. Davos has a better idea to make up for the burn jet fuel. You have to be vegan. But if a billion people stop eating meat, I tell you it has a big impact. Not only does it have a big impact on the current food system, but it will also inspire innovation of food systems. And I predict that we will have proteins not coming from um, meat in the future. They will probably taste even better. So why are we trying to mimic meat if we can have a better taste? Once you're hungry for munching on cucumbers all day, you're skinny fat like Mini Madoff. Davos is going to jack up the price of carbon so that you can't afford to stay warm either. With your question, uh, what it will be your wish, is to get much higher carbon prices yeah. and to use that money to subsidize clean energies. It's very, very simple. It's a very capitalist intervention, but just make what you try to avoid expensive and subsidize the thing that you try to build. The best part about Davos is that they show you their cards. They're telling you they're going to make oil and gas more expensive. They're telling you they're shelling out corporate welfare to green companies owned by Gore and Kerry. And if we can't afford to buy a Tesla or an electric stove, the United Nations has a plan for that. A global stimulus package. Our proposal is to have a global stimulus, a global stimulus able to redress the economies and the global stimulus able to address the challenges of the poorest in the world and at the same time uh, to create the funds that are necessary for a just transition in relation to climate change. Just like Biden, we're not mind readers. But wouldn't a global stimulus jack up inflation? I mean, nothing a Global Inflation Reduction Act can't solve. But we're not here to ask questions. We're just here to eat our veggies and like it. If we argue, Davos says we're spreading disinformation. And we know there's nothing Davos hates more than disinformation. They take it very seriously. It's why they brought a fired CNN reporter to talk about it with a New York Times reporter. Watch. The clear and present danger of disinformation uh, is our conversation here this afternoon. Uh, I'm Brian Stelter, formerly of CNN. How does this discussion of disinformation relate to everything else happening here today in Davos? I, th I think if you look at, at um, this question of disinformation, I think it maps basically to every other major challenge that we are grappling with as a society, and particularly the most existential among them. When we make mistakes, we acknowledge them in public, and we correct them. We do? Did Davos disinformation duo slap Gore with Pinocchios for his rain bomb tirade? They didn't pull Gore aside and tell him, you know what, Al, there's no such thing as a boiling ocean? Well, these are the people who said Hunter's laptop was a hoax and Russia collusion was real. So the dweebs at Davos could get away with making up anything, and the media will verify it. We're here today to share the findings of the World Economic Forum. The most striking finding that we found is that 93% of cyber leaders and 86% of cyber business leaders believe that the geopolitical instability makes a catastrophic cyber event likely in the next two years. <laughs> Get ready for a cyber attack. It's like when Fauci predicted the next pandemic. I think a worldwide cyber attack is probably more likely than a rain bomb. 
But, you know, just hand over all your passwords and just prevent future cyber attacks. It's for your health. The people at Davos are no different from us, except they have a lot more money and we keep our crazy ideas to ourselves, most of them. These people are in love with their crazy ideas. Let's ban meat so we can survive the next rain bomb. I mean, fat cats telling you you can't eat meat doesn't make sense to me. Anyone who questions this, we launch a cyber attack on them and blame Russia. Davos, it's like spring break for wealthy weirdos and people who lost elections to George Bush. Their only problem is the World Economic Forum only happens once a year. But like always, they have a plan to fix that. A village where they can always be together. We are pleased to create this uh, global collaboration village. So the idea is to bring all the stakeholders, governments, business, uh, civil society, together on a continued, sustained basis. It's like what Hillary said, it takes a global collaboration village. It takes a village. And Davos, Davos, however you want to say that little uh, town, little village's name, they want to be the ones that call every shot. I mean every shot. They want you and me to have no say-so. They want us to have nothing in the game. We're the plebes. They're the endowed, the people that live in the castle. And everybody else lives on the other side of the moat. Don't think I'm exaggerating it, folks. These are the most powerful and the wealthiest people on the planet. And they're not even trying to hide the fact that they want to take control of every part of your life. Think about that. You probably, if this ever comes to pass, you probably will be doing something that someone that lives on the top of a mountain in Switzerland or Germany or maybe in a valley in the Middle East, out in the desert, will be the people that collectively will be running the world and telling you exactly how you're going to live. And if you don't want to live the way they tell you to, you're expendable. Now, Davos is a big deal every year. I mean, worldwide, it's a really big deal. And while they're there in Davos, Switzerland, guess what happens at the local village? The demand for prostitutes and escorts spiked in Davos, which is currently hosting the World Economic Forum. Sex services reportedly in high demand in Davos this week, with multiple publications reporting numerous prostitutes and escorts descending on the Swiss ski resort as it hosts this annual conference. Now, the spike in demand for prostitutes, it's not unexpected. It happens every year about this time. And uh, the New York Times published an expose back in 2020 on the annual meeting describing it as a den of prostitution and predators with professional sex workers attending Davos in large numbers. And it's no different this year. Multiple publications speaking to sex workers and escort agencies who are at Davos for the big event this week. So far, 
We have 11 reservations and 25 inquiries for the coming week, but I assume that there will be more. That's the managing director of one escort service talking to a Swiss paper 20 minutes who told the publication that his employees could be contracted for as many as three days straight to serve clients. For example, he said, our women have already been brought to Davos by diplomats and company bosses. Some also book escorts for themselves and their employees to party in the hotel suite. Another escort, referred to as Liana, also confirmed she had multiple clients requesting her at the event, telling a German publication that sex workers often wear smart clothes so they do not stand out amidst those attending the conference. There are strict controls you can't get into some hotels, Liana described, divulging some of her experiences with German and American customers at the event. Unfortunately, this is her talking, Germans are stingy when it comes to tips. She complained, saying that she prefers it when she's contracted out by Americans and Britons. 52 heads of state and government are there. 52. That's a bunch of people. Powerful government political people. Plus, nearly 600 CEOs. That's a lot of very, very powerful, very connected, very wealthy people. It's unclear exactly how many prostitutes have showed up in Switzerland to serve clientele. But the indications are that the number could be hovering around a hundred or more. Think about that. Think about that. that probably illustrates what I was telling you in the opening, that it is a bunch of very wealthy Very powerful people that uh, they have nothing for you or me. And they don't care what they do. Absolutely don't give a rip. They can get away with doing anything they want to. Why? Because of who they know, who they are, and the power that they have. But then you throw a couple of guys in the middle of it. You just heard from them in that segment from Jesse Waters, Al Gore and John Kerry. Do you know anything about John Kerry? John Kerry, to his credit, married a very wealthy woman. He married the heiress to the Heinz ketchup fortune, Teresa Heinz, now Teresa Heinz Kerry. And with her came a bunch of connections at every stage of government, both in the United States and overseas, and of course, a lot of money. Did I tell you he got a lot of money when he married her? They actually own a jet leasing company. So they have a whole fleet of jets at their at their call and back. When they personally want to go somewhere, they just call and say, I want this one, I want that one. Just so happened that somebody caught Kerry flying in for the event. And listen to this. He was on a Gulfstream G650. It holds 13 to 16 passengers, depends on how it's configured, but you can fly over, it has has a bedroom in it, a full bathroom where you can take a bath, a shower, 13 to 16 to 17 people. I'm sure the one that they use for the 
corporate outings that uh, they lease these jets out to, the family does, I'm sure they use the ones that are the nicest, especially flying internationally. You know how many people got off that jet when they landed? Two. (laughs) And yet they tell us, and just by the way, if if you wanted to charter a G650 from, uh, let's just say, New York to Davos, Switzerland, round trip, if you wanted to charter, get set to pay a $70,000 tariff for that trip. But it doesn't matter. It's John Kerry. He was interviewed by Bloomberg yesterday. And his title is Special Presidential Envoy for Climate. In the interview, John Kerry said that if you're going to be a good CEO, you got to take into account the risk that exists of not acting on climate. Not acting on climate. That's one of the biggest things you face as a CEO. And one risk is being deemed not to be acting responsible. And that Other nations will increase taxes on our goods in America to compensate for the fact that the other people are having more expensive goods because they're actually investing money in the effort to be good citizens. Kerry said there are some governors who have decided they just want to attack the concept of dealing with the climate crisis, but that's completely contrary to all of the science and the CEOs of the most responsible countries, companies, and the largest companies in the world are all moving to reduce their emissions. So someone in those states ought to be asking, what does the governor know that the people who run these largest companies in the world that employ millions of Americans are listening to and are responding to? He added, I think that to be a good chief executive today and to lead your company properly, you got to take into account the risk that exists of not acting, the supply chain disruptions that will occur, the loss of market share, America not being a good, being deemed not to be acting responsibly, and therefore maybe even paying an extra price to sell its goods in certain countries. There's a growing movement, he said, now to have adjustments in the border tax adjustments for places that choose not to clean up their act so that they're selling goods that are made from a dirty process while other people are having more expensive goods because they're actually investing money in the effort to be good citizens. So that's John Kerry. He sits atop the heap. He's the most endowed. Why is he the most endowed? Because he believes the climate scientist. Well, He's believing some of the climate scientists, but he's ignoring the other 50% that tell us laughing, we don't have a climate crisis. But all of these people, those 200 plus jets that landed, all of these people wouldn't have a place to get together where they can all compare notes well, I've got this amount of money, or I own this real estate or this company, or I own, I own this country. <laughs> of course you and I can't relate to that. Have you ever met anybody that is really 
really connected. I mean really connected. I'm not talking about the Fortune 500. You do understand that there are a lot of people on earth, very wealthy people on earth, that they don't turn their financials into Fortune magazine to come up with who's the biggest, who's got the most powerful, who's the richest on earth. There are way more people that don't turn in those numbers than there are that turn them in. I'm telling you. I met Baron Rothschild. Now, who is he? The Rothschild family unquestionably is the wealthiest family on the planet. And if you don't think they are, just do this. You know what the central banks of countries are. We have a central bank. Every country has a central bank. And typically they're owned by the people of that country. But not so much anymore. You want to find out how powerful the Rothschild family is, just do a Google search. And put this in for your search topic. Who owns the central banks of all the countries on earth? And the list will pop up. And guess what you'll see? The Rothschild family owns controlling interest, at least in many cases, 100% of more than half of the central banks on the planet. They actually own controlling interest in the New York Federal Reserve Bank. I bet you didn't know that. Well, how could that happen? I mean, they're a European family. How could they? Well, it's because they bought it. (laughs) It's real simple. You got a lot of money. In most cases, you can buy anything you want to buy. And that's what they do. I actually, I got a call from Baron Rothschild. And I hung up on him because I thought it was a joke. (laughs) Uh, A a really close friend of mine is in the U.S. Treasury, and I was going to be in Europe. Actually, it was going to be in Zurich. And Baron the the Rothschild, uh, they have a bank there, and he flew in from France. And uh, my friend asked him to call me to see if we could get together for lunch. So when he called, I thought it was a joke. I hung up on him, and he called back laughing, and I apologized. I couldn't have lunch with him. It was actually scheduled the next day, actually, and his assistant called me late that evening and said he had to leave to go back to France and apologize. So I never met him face-to-face, but I knew I don't have any clue how wealthy they are. I couldn't give you a number or even guess what an accurate number or close to an accurate number would be. But I know they're worth more than anybody on Fortune Magazine's top 100 wealthiest people. And they project, they guess. And our evil billionaires, the ones at the top, you know who I'm talking about, Elon Musk, Big company owners like that, they're paupers compared to some of the people that are at this economic forum in Davos, Switzerland. A lot of heavyweights there, a lot of heavyweights there. And oh, by the way, those heavyweight guys and girls, they have some. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for the $3.99 6-inch sub of the day. How do you want it? Secret DJ set. At a retirement home? Weird, I like it. DJ sandwich in the house. What did he say? Italian BMT $3.99. I call the EMT. Turkey breast $3.99. How much? 
participating shops. Prices and subs included may vary. Additional charge for extras plus tax. No additional discounts or coupons applied. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're a pilgrim, please make a decision. Here's good news. Even with high unemployment, there's still a need for hundreds of thousands of cybersecurity professionals in the U.S. right now. And my computer career is training people to help meet the demand. No IT experience? No problem. Take the free career evaluation today at mycomputercareer.edu. Start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Grants covering up to 53% of the cost are available to those who qualify. It's not rocket science. It's mycomputercareer.edu. Those in the know like to stay in the realm of innovation. Join them. It's easy to keep up with the latest trends and own the latest tech with BMW Select as it offers you the option to drive a brand new BMW every three years. You also get to tailor your deal to suit your pocket and your lifestyle. Visit select.bmw.co.za for more. BMW Select. Dynamic finance for ultimate control. BMW Financial Services is an authorized FSP and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. Partisan spin? Not here. Identity politics? Go somewhere else. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. Here's Dan Newman. Identity politics, it lives and breathes, especially this week in Davos, doesn't it? Wow. Meanwhile, back in the good old USA, I probably don't need to tell you this, but Joe Biden wasn't invited to Davos. He wasn't. Volodymyr Zelensky's there speaking, as a matter of fact, the president of Ukraine, but not Joe Biden. He sent his climate advisor, and that would be John Kerry. I don't know who I would like the least to hear in a lecture about climate change, Joe Biden or John Kerry. Meanwhile, back in the USA, Joe's under siege. Guess what came out overnight? Joe's Justice Department permitted the president's personal attorneys to look for classified documents in separate locations with no security clearances or even the FBI being there. Now, this is Merrick Garland, Attorney General, and his boss, Joe Biden. Now, Joe gets the permission of Merrick Garland to have Joe's personal attorneys going to all these places, the office, the houses, and to search, which means go through all kind of stuff in the house, looking for more classified documents. Can you imagine if Donald Trump had done that? Well... You know, I'm the former president of the United States, and I want you to trust me and my personal attorneys. We'll find the top secret documents. We'll find them. And uh, I just got a text from Marianne. She just met Brian Kelly, the head coach of the LSU Tigers. Now, we're talking about really important stuff, and she interrupts me to tell me she just met the head coach at LSU. That's a big deal. We're in Louisiana. Brian Kelly came from Notre Dame. He's a big-name coach, so it's a big deal. I don't want to diminish it. And the fact that she thought enough of me 
to text me and tell me she just met him. Anyway, back to this classified docugate thing with Joe Biden. Merrick Garland says, oh, y'all just go ahead. We don't have the time. We'll let our FBI agents work on some more serious things. And y'all just go take a look. And when you find something, if you do, just let us know and everything is going to be okay. Critics, I don't need to tell you this, have gone bonkers over Biden's personal attorneys looking for classified documents. Others have questioned why his legal team, Joe's legal team, was continuing to search his home yesterday. Why are you still looking? They told us three different times. Corinne Jean-Pierre said, we found everything. We found them all. And then she says that later in the day, they find some more. If you found them all, why are you still looking? According to the Wall Street Journal, the search initially was authorized by the DOJ, involved folks with no security clearance looking for classified material that you're not supposed to even look at unless you have a security clearance. Mr. Biden's legal team prepared to search his other properties for any similar documents and discussed with the DOJ the prospect of having FBI agents present while Mr. Biden's lawyers conducted the additional services. Instead, the two sides agreed that Mr. Biden's personal attorneys would inspect homes notify the Department of Justice as soon as they identified any other potentially classified records and arrange for law enforcement authorities to take them. As you can imagine, Democrats in leadership went crazy. Representative James Comer, he's chairman of the House Oversight Committee, he believes nobody would have known of the unearthed documents in the Biden-Pence Center or Biden's home if CBS News had not first reported the scandal. Think about that. It wasn't a scandal until CBS News reported it. They found the documents. They found them before the November election. And they didn't tell anybody. Of course, after the scandal broke, the White House claimed, and still does every day, total transparency. Yet they haven't explained why Biden's personal attorneys initially searched his home and the Biden-Penn Center looking for classified documents. Yesterday, five more classified documents were found just hours after the White House revealed that one document had been found in a storage area near the garage of Biden's Wilmington home. Justice Department employees retrieved that document that had been unearthed by the president's legal team who did not have security clearances. Have I told you his attorneys don't have security clearance? His personal attorney, Bob Bauer, stated over the weekend the single document led Biden's attorneys to five more which were apparently unearthed because Biden's personal legal team did not have security clearances. So when they saw the one-page document that had classification markings, they cleared the area and did not look further. So far, we're up to 25 classified documents 
discovered by the president's personal attorneys. Some of them are top secret. Jonathan Turley, he's an attorney and professor at George Washington University Law School. You will probably see him all the time on Fox News, just to make a note, he's a Democrat. He voted for Hillary, and he voted for Joe. On Monday, he questioned why Biden used his own personal attorneys to search for classified information. The answer appears the same as in the case of Hillary's emails. Control. Control. Think about it. Use your attorney. That allows Biden to raise attorney-client privilege. Think about that. Trump also used counsel, but eventually the FBI raided his home to search and remove not just classified material, but they got documents in boxes with that material, personal documents. While that attorney-client privilege can be overcome under a crime-fraud exception, Turley said, it adds a level of initial protection. It also allowed Biden to control the discovery and the initial record of the discovery of classified information. The Biden administration has failed to comply with the House Oversight Committee's investigation into Joe Biden's mishandling of top-secret dollars after promising the highest standard of transparency. Now, it's laughable if you hadn't seen this overnight, a photo surfaced of then Vice President Joe Biden holding a classified document in his hands in front of cameras. (laughs) It's from 2013 a folder marked code word classified document vice president. The picture was taken September 30th, 2013, as Biden prepared for a meeting between Barack Obama and Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Hard copies of sensitive documents, just so you know, are typically only allowed in sensitive compartmented information facilities. It's called SCIFs for short. Secured rooms, free from cameras and other devices. This picture surfaced as officials launched that investigation. Biden again ignored reporters' questions about it Tuesday as they tried to get him to address this whole thing from his time as vice president that was recently found at his Delaware home and at his think tank, University of Pennsylvania. Will you commit to speak to the special counsel? That was what one reporter asked him. Biden didn't acknowledge the questions. He smiled while White House staff urgently rushed the media out of the room. Out of the room. Well, well, well. The Biden family issues, they just keep on coming. There's a new bit that came out overnight about Hunter Biden. Now, let me say this. If you're close with your family and kids, often, especially men regarding sons, there's a bond that develops between father and son, probably just like one or similar to one that develops between mothers and daughters. In our family, 
our daughters and Marianne, my wife, they are just, I mean, close, close, close. I'm close to everybody in our family, but not as close to the girls as is Marianne. And I think that's, that's a normal thing. I guess they think about things the same way. They do a lot of things together through a lot of years. Kimby, our oldest, was born in 1975. Her sister was born late in 76. The girls are inseparable as friends. They've lived in the same town. They do everything together. Their families do. It's it's just a really cool thing. Joe's got that kind of relationship with Hunter. It's his only son. Bo was older than Hunter. And Bo passed away a few years ago, had a brain tumor. Tore Joe's heart out, but he is even closer today, we're told, to Hunter than he was before. There's something special about that. And something new. I gotta tell you, this this conflagration that's happening about Hunter Biden and all the stuff that he's been through, his drug addiction, just going absolutely crazy in a lot of ways. That's got to just tear Joe Biden's heart out. But there's news overnight, more news about Hunter Biden. It just seems like this stuff keeps coming and coming and coming up. We hear something new about it, and it's been buried apparently purposely for months and even years. A lot more to talk about. We're just getting cranked here at TNN Live. Sit tight. We'll be back in what? Two minutes? Yeah, two minutes. Speaking the truth, the left doesn't want you to hear. TNN, the Truth News Network. I know I should quit smoking, but it's just... (sighs) My feet and hands are numb a lot. Walking to the bathroom gets me winded. (coughs) I cough all the time. Seriously? I've been dying to quit. Don't wait till you're dying to call. When your health is worse, it will be too late. 1-866-QUIT-YES. The Illinois Department of Public Health and the American Lung Association in Illinois. QuitYes.org. Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high-fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy. Live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. You remember hearing this song, College, High School, basketball games chiefly and everybody just got up and you can't sit still with this going on (laughs) well back to hunter by new york times confirmed yesterday another detail about hunter foreign's business dealings joe biden's meeting with hunter hunter's business partners that were initially reported by the new york post and were poopod nobody else talked about them Then Vice President Joe Biden attended a 2015 charity dinner for the World Food Program USA with Hunter 
and Burisma executive Vadim Pasoski, one of his son's business associates. The confirmation of this meeting, get-together, dinner, echoes a revelation first reported in the New York Post in a bombshell story totally censored by social media companies, while Joe has denied knowledge of Hunter Biden's business activities, he still won't say and admit that he knew some stuff and had some meetings. Bazarski, who served as Hunter's primary point of contact at Burisma, Burisma Holdings, remember that? That's that gas company, gas company of all places for Hunter Biden to work. Anyway, Hunter was on their their board of directors and he got 60 grand or more every month for doing that. And Pazarski was his contact there. He later emailed Joe Biden to express his gratitude for giving an opportunity to meet your father, spent some time together. This is Pazarski who emailed that to Hunter. I remember the vice president coming in. He did not go around the table. He just simply waved at everybody and then sat down. That was the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of America. That's the father that oversees that. He was at that dinner. The New York Post initially reported on an email from Bazarski on October 14th, 2020, in an article that was based on that laptop that laptop that started it all, that everybody in mainstream media just ignored, and very few will even talk about it today. Journalist Michael Schellenberger reported that the FBI paid Twitter almost $3.5 million to reimburse the company for time spent responding to requests from the FBI. The FBI doing stuff that they paid Twitter to do for them. Three and a half million of your dollars. The documents also showed the FBI contacted Twitter about potential leaks involving Hunter prior to the New York Post reporting on the contents of the abandoned laptop. It's kind of like they knew something big was about to come get into the public's eyes through the media. And of course, anything bad that would happen and be reported on by anybody in the Biden family, it would only be brought to the American people by just a few news networks and papers, New York Post being one, Fox News being one. The New York Times also confirmed that Joe met with some of Hunter's Chinese business partners, as was in that report by the New York Post. Biden wrote letters of recommendation to Georgetown University and Brown University for the children of one of Hunter's Chinese business associates. The Post, the Washington Post, and New York Times confirmed the laptop and its contents were authentic, but not until March of 2022, two years after it was first reported by the New York Post. Why did it take so long? Why? Because they wanted it buried. Because the FBI wanted it buried. I'm going to tell you about somebody you probably never heard of, don't know anything about. 
President Biden's got another son. Well, actually, it's not his son. Looks like his son. It's Joe's little brother. His name is Frank. I didn't even know he had another brother. Anyway, Frank peddled influence to the White House during Joe Biden's presidency, and this just came up on at least two separate occasions. Frank Biden publicly talked about Joe as a means by which he has influence, despite holding no government position or relation to the White House other than by having the same last name as the president. In October, Frank spoke in Venice, Italy, as the keynote speaker at a Biosig Technologies Conference, and he spoke about the future of global health care. Biosig Technologies is a health technology company. The trip was not paid for by Frank Biden, who refused to disclose who the financier was. In the speech, he included advice on how lobbyists could influence American policy. CNN, of all places, reported the instance of influence peddling. Here's what CNN said. The speaker was not a doctor, nor did he have any extensive background in healthcare, global or otherwise. But Frank Biden did have something else, a big brother in the White House. In his speech, Frank talked about his family and his brother's cancer initiative. Following his remarks, the leader of a trade group who attended the event promptly posted a video from Venice informing members he represents that he'd spoken with Frank Biden about their efforts to lobby the federal government on Medicare reimbursement rules. The president's brother, he told his members, had agreed to help. And there's another case of Frank's influence peddling, and it had occurred in Boston in 2021, year after Biden was elected. On behalf of that same company, Biosig Technologies, Frank told health professionals at a dinner that he had a bully pulpit due to my big brother Joey. Once again, CNN raised its head. At that event, it said, Frank Biden boasted of the bully pulpit that I have as a result of the privilege of being associated with my brother Joey. And according to CNN, Frank vowed to do everything in my power to support you to get the job done, to get federal dollars to your research. And this comes from a video that's available out on the Internet. Frank Biden's working history with Biosig Technologies, it's unclear. According to the report, Frank Biden initially told CNN he had worked for the company for a year before reversing himself, claiming he never worked for the company, only that he gave Biosig Technologies informal sales assistance. You got to be a salesman to give informal sales assistance. (laughs) And CNN finally had enough. While Joe Biden swears by his name in politics, his son and two brothers spent years trying to benefit from the Biden name. I don't even need to go into all of the other Biden issues that are out there. And it just seems like 
a new one, it pops up every day or two. Something else, something that has been going on forever we did not know was going on. And it just keeps happening over and over and over. There's something else that's going on. It turns out overnight, a report comes to the surface that Joe Biden, when he was sending emails out and he was talking about foreign policy, foreign policy emails, he's sending them out and he cc'd his son Biden, uh, excuse me, Hunter, Hunter Biden. He cc'd those emails, government emails Joe was sending out regarding foreign policy. Why would he do that? Let's welcome to the show House Oversight Chair, Congressman James Comer. Congressman, we've got to get to this. This letter in 2021 from Senators Ron Johnson and Chuck Grassley, it went to a Biden aide, alleging then-Vice President Biden used a pseudonym, a non-government email during the Obama White House to CC Hunter Biden about government meetings with things like the Ukrainian President Poroshenko, the president, again, of Ukraine. This happened in 2016. Why is Hunter Biden being CC'd about vice presidential meetings with the president of Ukraine? Well, that's very simple. It's because the influence peddling business expects to get a return on their investment. And all the millions of dollars that our adversaries in Ukraine, our adversaries in Russia, our adversaries in China and the Middle East have paid to the Biden family, uh, they're not doing it for charity. They're doing it to get a return on their investment. So uh, I'm sure that the information CC to Hunter Biden pertain to national security interest or something of value to our adversaries. So Hunter Biden gets CC'd again on an email from an aide, an employee in the office of the vice president for Joe Biden in 2016 about a meeting with the president of Ukraine. Okay, so is your committee now probing links between this document scandal and controversy and Hunter Biden and the Biden family deal making? Absolutely. And don't think Ukraine's gone away. This Burisma deal uh, is so bad. And the press kind of blew it over as Russian disinformation. But we've, you know, constantly gotten in a drip of more information about wrongdoing in Ukraine, in addition to all that we're seeing in, in real uh, real time with respect to China and the donations to the Biden Center and the classified documents and everything. But you know, what Hunter Biden had to do to provide legitimacy to these people who are wanting to purchase access to Joe Biden was to prove that he was in the circle. And that's why he liked to fly on Air Force Two with Joe Biden when he was vice president. That's why he likes to go to state dinners now with Joe Biden while he's president. Uh, he wanted the people who were paying him to think, and he may have been, uh, uh, an inner part of Joe Biden's inner circle that made decisions affecting foreign aid in many of these countries. You know, the weird angle, too, is that, you know, Hunter Biden reportedly sets up a D.C. office for the Biden family's business venture with, venture with Chinese energy conglomerate CEFC. He's going to pay 50000 a month. Then that goes kaflui, right? Kaplui, whatever you pronounce it. But then he, they're redirecting fifty grand a month to, from Hunter to pay for Biden's Delaware rental property, excuse me, rental payments to Biden's Delaware home. 
when Hunter Biden is paying maintenance expenses on it? You know what I mean? And this is the, this is China. CEFC, nearly five million dollars the family made in that deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's why we're wanting bank records. Uh, we want to verify these reports. We know for a fact that Hunter Biden was paying for basic living expenses for Joe Biden. Uh, that alone would implicate him in the Biden family influence peddling. I mean, you know, what Joe Biden likes to say is, well, you all are picking on my son. He had an addiction problem. Leave him alone. Well, let's say he had an addiction problem, which he did, but he was still getting paid for influence peddling. And what father would require their son who, who has addiction troubles to pay for basic living expenses for him if the father had a good paying job. So, you know, none of this story makes sense. And uh, this is a, another example of the, the chickens coming home to roost why would for they the put, Biden. They're having would, to answer questions now. Why would they put an individual with drug addiction problems out there to meet with the widow of the former mayor of Moscow or leaders in Kazakhstan or Ukraine or Mexico or Romania or China, which, which is, you know, yeah. fraught with military intelligence? That, it's, so the reasoning and they, the other thing, too, is... They cannot continue to play that... Uh, yeah, go ahead, They cannot finish. continue to play that drug addiction card. I mean, this is, this is a family that's been involved in influence peddling for a decade. The press has turned a blind eye. Now you okay. have Republican oversight, and they're going to have to start answering questions. Congressman, how is it that President Biden's lawyers talked the DOJ out of FBI agents monitoring the search for top-secret documents in the president's homes, they don't have security clearances. Under what authority did they declassify on the spot U.S. Uh, secrets, state secrets? Zero authority. Those lawyers have no business going through Joe Biden's classified documents. They're essentially trespassing at a crime scene. Think about that. Think about what you just heard, everything you just heard. Would any of this be acceptable in a Republican administration? You know the answer to that. Absolutely not. Can you imagine if Donald Trump Jr. or Eric got involved in stuff like Hunter Biden has during the Biden time in office or even their dad's time in office? It would be front page news. Day after day after day. They would be beating it to death. In fact, let me just say this. Both those boys, both of uh, both of the former presidents, I can't even think of the names sometimes. My mind is just racing. But Eric and Donald Trump, both of those boys have been attacked even after their dad left the White House. Everybody on the left that has a position of power or of knowledge, they're doing everything they can to denigrate Donald Trump, Eric Trump, Ivanka Trump, Donald Trump Jr., because they don't want these people back in Washington in a position of political power. That's what all of this is about, power, political power, power over the people. They don't want the American people to decide who leads this government. Let me give you another example of that. The Biden Justice Department today is fighting to reverse the decision which determined the nationwide mask mandate, determined it was unlawful. They want to gain back the power to force individuals to wear masks on public transportation, and that includes planes, 
and trains. They want to do it one more time. Now, where does this come from? In April of 2022, last year, U.S. District Judge Catherine Kimball of the Middle District of Florida ruled that the mask mandate that forced individuals to wear masks on public transportation was unlawful in nature and concluded that the CDC, which issued the original directive on January 29th of 21, was overstepping its authority. The rule required all of those two and older to wear masks while in airports and on airplanes, with very few exceptions. Monday's ruling, now this is a report from Bright News, Breitbart News. Monday's ruling was one of the earliest cases filed in July of 2021. The lawsuit alleged the mask mandate violated the Administrative Procedure Act on three separate grounds. Number one, that issuing the order is beyond CDC statutory authority that was granted by Congress. Two, that the CDC's action was really a rule, i.e., a regulation, rather than an order, and therefore had to go through a process of public notice, an opportunity for public comment before it could take effect. Third, it violates that Administrative Procedure Act because it's arbitrary and capricious, meaning it was not a result of reasoned decision-making. This is just another example Another example of our government and agencies within our government reaching out to garner more and more and more power over the American people. And these guys, they're not even in Davos. (laughs) They didn't go there. They already knew how to do it back here in the United States. Very few even notice that the DOJ is filing an appeal because they want to put that mask mandate on public transportation. They want to force it again, once again, on the American people. There's no other explanation. It's been proved again and again and again. We here published 53, 53 reports, laboratory results, tested in laboratories and not one of the 53 tests that came back to our government from inside the U.S. and some laboratories outside the U.S., not one of those said that a mask would stop COVID-19 transmission. And the Biden administration, they're thumbing their nose at all 53 of those. Why? Because they want the power. Not so much that they want these masks. Now think about that. Not so much that they want these masks to be used. It's not about the mask. What's it about? It's about the power. It's about the power over the American people so they can tell us what to do and none of us can question them. Wow. Well, we've got a debt limit crisis. Janet Yellen, our Treasury Secretary, she's going crazy, and she's implementing some things today to take care of the nation. (laughs) We're going to let you 
weigh in with some experts after this about what's really going on about raising our debt limit. Little Caesars Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring six forty nine in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesars. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesars Large Thin Crust Pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just six forty nine. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus. friend of mine said he wanted to talk to me about my Volvo. I told him, thank you, that's between me and my gynecologist. He said, no, no, your car, your Volvo 850 Turbo Sports Wagon. I said, oh, that. Nope, you can't drive it. Oh, I love my Volvo. Sure, it's safe, but gee, just because driving on the freeways of Southern California is the equivalent of playing bumper cars at the speed of light, what kind of reason is that? Volvos are still ultra-luxury imports, sleek and gorgeous and loaded to hear, safe and sexy, and pardon me, I have to go hug my car now. Want safe and sexy? Viva la Volvo! Test drive a Volvo 850 at your Southern California Volvo dealer. Since when is safe sexy, another friend asked. Hey, I said, what decade are you living in? Computer, execute 12.4p operation. Optimizing algorithm. Running encryption packet alpha. Night, night. Oh, I don't feel so good. What? What is it, computer? Is it hot in here? It feels hot in here? I feel a little clammy. I should lie down or something. A computer with a virus? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to GEICO. Those oysters Rockefeller were a mistake. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Out for some lays and you face a test. Which tasty chip will be the best? Sour cream and onion, smoky barbecue. Cheddar, sour cream, salt, and vinegar, too. You sample them all because the crisp is so good on your lips. Yeah. You left your wallet at home, but now you have a new best friend. The many flavors of Lay's chips. One taste and you're in love. No identity politics, no political elitism. Read and hear the truth, always sourced from facts. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. Nobody here makes anything up. What you hear is always going to be factual. It's been confirmed. Sometimes we'll talk to you about some story that came up that we haven't yet been able to verify its accuracy. But it's so important we want you to know about it. We'll tell you about it. But we'll also tell you, hey, we're looking into this. We haven't been able to establish its accuracy, but we want you to know it's out there for your consideration. We will tell you with confirmation it's true or that it's not true as soon as we know. Other than that, guys, what you hear is researched facts. And it is a fact. During the night last night, we reached our national debt limit. Now, the debt limit is established by the U.S. Congress. It has to come from Congress. They can't spend a dime, or they're not supposed to spend a dime without approval from the United States Congress. That's part of the checks and balances thing in the U.S. Constitution. 
Does it happen that way all the time? We all know that it doesn't. Executive orders, Joe Biden passing out money like he's passing around a candy dish. All that being said, we did reach our debt limit. And let's get into the nitty-gritty details of what that means. The nation's debt is at $31 trillion. Starting Thursday, the Treasury says the United States won't be able to borrow anymore. That's when the U.S. will hit the congressionally prescribed limit on the amount it can borrow. We've been counting down to it all week. We even marked it on our calendar. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has it on her calendar as well, and she said she's prepared to take extraordinary measures to delay a default until June, when there's no more she can do and government checks will stop. House Republicans are demanding promises of spending cuts in the future in exchange for their vote to raise the debt ceiling now, which would allow the government to pay for its past spending. But the White House's position has not changed. The debt limit has been something that has happened three times. If you look at just the last administration in a bipartisan way, it is something that should be hap- that should be done without conditions. There should be we should not be negotiating around it. Uh, it is the it is the duty, the basic duty of Congress to get that done. And so- Scott McFarland is going to join me now to try and uh, set the table here for this. We're going to go through this a lot, Scott, but we just heard from the White House. And so the White House isn't negotiating. So what is the Republican leadership's theory of the case for how this is all going to get worked out without the disastrous economic consequences that economists on both the left and the right predict if there's not an increase in the debt limit? It's a really good question. I can't get past the fact that this is the political version of that Jaws theme song just starting to echo. That's what tomorrow is. We start to hear that ominous music with the risk of some metaphorical economic sharp coming out of the water. Because tomorrow is when the Treasury Department begins taking its extraordinary measures, which means they'll stop making payments on some things it can pause payments on retiree benefits, pensions, some security reinvestments, things that it'll make good on later, but can pause for now without any damage. That buys Congress time. You heard the White House position. They're not going to negotiate. House Republicans have made clear they want to negotiate. That $32 trillion in debt is a wholly unacceptable number, a politically unpopular number, and that they'd like to see some solution to this soaring debt before they agree to raise the limit. They're making the same argument we heard in 2011, that Americans won't tolerate this type of debt, that families have to balance their budgets or adhere to their credit card limits, and that the government must do so. But what's most notable here, John, is it's the same political chemistry the last time the experiment almost exploded. Republican U.S. House emerging with new members and new leadership, Democratic Senate, Democratic White House. That's what caused the chaos 12 years ago and could cause it again. Well, and if you go back and read former Speaker John Boehner's account of the last time this happened in 2011 and 2013, he says basically House Republicans who tried to do exactly what Kevin McCarthy and his colleagues are trying to do were in an awful political position because essentially this is a debate over bills that have already come due. This is spending that has already taken place. It's not about future spending. It's about spending in the past and that Republicans end up getting blamed for threatening the health of the economy. And Boehner said it was a no-win proposition. And of course, in the end, they buckled and President Obama uh, was the winner. So why does Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans think they're going to win this time? What's going to be different? Yeah, not only did 
the House Republicans find it to be a losing equation in 2011, but then President Obama emerged from that July 2011 dispute on a glide path to reelection in 2012. Um, there's nothing that's changed in the political reality here of the issue. I mean, this is something that can't happen. You can't let the debt ceiling breach because there is untold damage that looms beyond that point. And House Republicans will own this standoff if they're the only party that's insisting on negotiations. If they don't get cover from Senate Republicans too, they will singularly own this standoff like they did in 2011. That's the political reality here. It's already part of the narrative. And Senate Republicans, including John Kennedy of Louisiana, articulated today that this is about bills that are already due, expenses already made. It's not about future spending. It can easily be conflated. That may work on the stump for a political campaign or when rallying your political base, but it doesn't change the reality. This can't happen, and somebody's going to own it. And that prospect may be the only way we get to an 11th hour and 59th minute solution. Very quickly, Scott, on the, on the idea of a discharge petition, um, explain briefly what that is and how that could be a solution if enough moderate Republicans basically joined all the Democrats to try to solve this problem. Now, that might be the solution. Some coalition of a group of Democrats and some moderate Republicans coming together saying, let's leave our party leaders aside here and get a deal. Find some way to get this through the Congress and avoid an avalanche of problems. That's worked on some other standoffs, some spending government shutdown standoffs in the past. But I got to tell you, John, last time this came up, Democrats controlled the House and got zero votes from Republicans. How willing are they to bail Republicans out of their own problem? That's what we're about to find out. All right, Scott McFarland in Washington. Thank you, Scott. What's the truth about what you just heard? Those two guys, both of them, they talked about Republicans are going to cave. Republicans got a cave last time it happened. It was in the Obama administration. Same circumstances right after an election. Republicans took the House, had a Democrat Senate, had Barack Obama in the White House. Republicans tried to hold Obama hostage, and they lost that battle. And because of that, they lost the next election. That's the political perspective that is being used now today. According to a friend of mine, pastors a huge church in New Mexico, here's what he said that has stuck with me since I heard it several years ago. Nothing changes if nothing changes. You can't expect the results to be different if you don't change the contents going into whatever that situation is. If you want different results, you got to change what's in the process of getting the results. Now, what am I saying? Am I saying the Republicans should just flat hold out and not agree to any debt limit raise? I'm not saying that. What I am saying is what the Republicans in leadership in the House, and by the way, in the Senate are saying, hang on here. We've got to get an agreement in place to cut future spending by our government. Now, one of those announcers you just heard said, there's no way that can happen. John Kennedy, you heard the soundbite yesterday, where Senator Kennedy said, look, I agree with all of the economists that say 
The government's got to stop deficit spending. I agree with that. But this debt limit, what it pertains to are bills that are in the past. We created them. We got to pay the bills. I get that. But Senator Kennedy and every other legislator in the House of Representatives in the U.S. Senate, what you need to ask is how do we stop this process from repeating itself every fall and every winter? It's insane for us to keep going down this road and telling the American people we're the right people to do your government stuff. We've got our arms around it and everything's taken care of. It's not. And you put the American people, you put us in a place where you can now say, we don't have a choice. Those are bills that we've got to pay. Those are things that we've already used the money for. How do we stop that? I can tell you how we stop it. We make an agreement to no longer deficit spend. What does that mean, Dan? If you don't have the money, don't spend the money. Don't go borrow the money to pay for something. And I understand we can't make that happen overnight. It's going to take leadership. It's going to take months. It can be done in months. It'll hurt from top to bottom in the nation. It's going to hurt the American people. But it's all part of a process. None of that deficit spending exists in a vacuum. It's part of what this government is doing today, has been doing, and will continue to do it. What did my friend say? Nothing changes if nothing changes. If you want change, you got to change something. And when it comes to deficit spending, when it comes to debt, you know somebody that's kind of got it figured out? The state of Florida. Ron DeSantis explained, the governor, he explained yesterday the difference in thinking and leadership between the federal government and what Florida's government is doing. He explains it this way. Had Jimmy and I just had a meeting of the Florida cabinet, and we had um, uh, a fellow, a great guy, who who went over Florida's uh, bond ratings and all that other stuff. And so, our debt per capita in the state of Florida is one of the lowest in the country. If you if you calculated how much debt each Floridian, you take Florida's debt and apply it to each Floridian, it's like what seven hundred and fifty. $764 per person is what you would owe for our debt. Compare that with the federal debt, which is $31 trillion. That's like, what, $91,000 for every American to be able to do our debt. And that's more than most people make in an entire year. And so you see that the debt nationally is bigger than the entire economy is. In Florida... Our GDP, if we were our own country, I think we'd be 13th biggest economy in the world now. It's over a trillion dollars. Our debt is what, like 20 billion? 20 billion dollars. So it's like 1.5% or something, uh, our debt to GDP ratio. U.S. government is like 140% debt to GDP ratio. So, you know, you think about like policy does matter. 
doing things, making sound decisions does matter. And if you look at what they did over the last two years, you know, with Biden, but also with uh, with Pelosi and Schumer, uh, more more spending and debt than any time in modern American history. And it was just a few years ago that we were at like 20 trillion in debt, which was a lot. And somehow, it just in a matter of a few years, you're up to over $30 trillion in debt. So there's a lot of problems in Washington. We worked really hard in Florida to elect uh, new, as many Republicans as we could to the Congress and, um, and, uh, in, in the elections and did, did pretty well. And so that was, that was good. And so now, you know, Pelosi is no longer speaker. And so, so come on, Neil. Pelosi is no longer speaker. Well, yeah, that can help having a real power player in politics that is no longer the Speaker of the House. Now, Kevin McCarthy's not a novice. He's been around a long time. He understands how Congress works, how the budget process works, and how the debt limit process works. Let me tell you, here's a suggestion that I would give to every one of our lawmakers if they would listen to me. I would say this, look, you can't solve this problem today, but what you can do and what you better do is come up with a budget plan going forward that will stop this hitting the credit card total balance, your line of credit on your credit card, hitting it, but not stopping when you hit it. You shouldn't have ever hit the limit. If you needed to, really needed to, that's one thing. But if you don't plan ahead and you hit it, that's what you're doing to the nation right now today. We don't have the money to pay for your deficit spending. And force the government, you guys force each other, make a law in the House, send it over to the Senate, The Senate passes it. That united bill goes to the White House. Now, we do have Joe Biden in the White House. He loves deficit spending. He might veto such a bill. Well, you've got the power in Congress to override a president's veto, override the veto, and the law says, moving forward, no deficit spending. A budget... And you stick to it. You do not, cannot spend above your debt limit. It would really hurt. I promise you for several years, there'd be a lot of pain associated with it. But you know what? We've been spending like we have money that we don't have. You got to stop that. It's unsustainable. You can't do it continuously. And I know the Biden administration, the folks there say, oh, we had to do it. We had to do it because we were in a pandemic. People were out of work. We had to give them money. We had to fund their companies so that they could go back to work. We had to do all of that. I don't think, and most Americans don't think we had to do all of that. Maybe some of it. But the Biden trillions that have been spent more than any other president in history. What do we have to show for it? 
we're at a debt limit, and as you just heard Governor DeSantis say, we're over $31 trillion in debt. And it just goes up. The meter's running. And it's running faster and faster because our lawmakers are not taking care of business. Now let's segue for a second into a little bit of healthcare news. And it's not about healthcare itself. The states of Texas and Oklahoma, they've joined forces to sue the Biden administration about a public health rule that the two states argue illegally gives power to the World Health Organization, better known as the WHO. The states accuse the Department of Health and Human Services for unlawfully delegating the authority to declare a public health emergency in the U.S. to the WHO. The plaintiffs, the states, assert that a 2017 rule gives HHS authority to the WHO to determine when there's a public health emergency involving a communicable disease here in the United States. Now, a lot of people think that the WHO, the World Health Organization, is part of the U.S. government. It's not. It's part of the United Nations. You know, that big building that sits on that prime property in southeast Manhattan, it's headquartered here in the United States, but it's not the United States. And certainly the American people, I guarantee you, 90% of the American people had no idea this is what our government did. They gave to the WHO a bunch of hardcore United States haters, gave them the authority to determine when there's a public health emergency regarding a communicable disease. HHS's definition for the declaration came directly from the WHO. We didn't even write the deal. They did. Here's what it says. The department's definition of public health emergency exceeds the agency's authority as it unlawfully delegates to the World Health Organization the authority to invoke emergency health powers in the U.S. infringing on the United States and state sovereignty. That's in the lawsuit. The states petitioned in July for a repeal of that rule a move that you can imagine the Biden administration denied, according to the complaint. Now, they're looking for court intervention to declare the rule unlawful for depending on the authority of a foreign body. America First Legal, which was founded by former Trump administration officials, is representing Texas in its lawsuit, which was filed, by the way, in Texas in a district court. The last several years have been a horrifying tutorial of how U.S. global elites like the gang that are over in Davos, Switzerland today. They're all working in concert and are prepared to use the pretext of a healthcare emergency to impose a draconian and totalitarian controls over the lives of our people. That is what this historic lawsuit is all about. Biden's HHS secretary, Javier Becerra, extended on January 11th the country's public health emergency over COVID-19. It's been in place since January of 2020. 
Think about that. We're in January of 2023, and we're still in a health emergency situation over COVID-19. Now, the World Health Organization, they faced a bunch of scrutiny in recent years because of its alleged reliance on China. And that led former President Trump to pull U.S. funding from the WHO. In a 2021 congressional hearing, Director of National Intelligence Avril Haines said this, there were indications of Chinese influence on the WHO. We're proud and we're honored to represent the great state of Texas and to work with courageous patriot Attorney General Ken Paxton in filing this lawsuit against Biden's DHHS for unlawfully relinquishing America's national sovereignty to the WHO, empowering corrupt foreign governments and bureaucrats to make life and death decisions about our society, our economy, our families, and our most essential freedoms. You probably didn't even know this was in the making. I had heard a little bit about it, but until this came out overnight, I didn't know this had already been done. Okay, so this administration wants to give the WHO medical authority over each of us. What else is going on? On November 15th, a year ago, 2022, several of the world's biggest banks, they got together and they agreed to a shocking new plan. One that could lead to a complete overthrow of the United States dollar as we know it today. Now, this is all sponsored by the New York Federal Reserve, which I told you earlier in the show, remember, the Rothschild family owns controlling interest in the New York Federal Reserve. Participants in this plan include banking giants like Wells Fargo, Citigroup, HSBC, MasterCard. That's just a few of them. The pilot program is dubbed Project Cedar. Don't know where the name came from. Project Cedar would convert regular U.S. dollars into a brand new type of dollar, which could have massive implications for every American. But Project Cedar is just the second step in a complete overhaul that's going on, whether we knew it or not, whether we approve of it or not as immaterial. It's happening. This is step number two in the plan to overhaul the U.S. banking system. And the first step was announced March 9th of 2022. You probably don't remember it. We talked about it here. It's executive order number 14067. It gave legal provisions for this brand new U.S. dollar and could give the U.S. government unprecedented control over your money and your freedom. In fact, let me tell you some things that it would pave the way for. Legal government surveillance of all U.S. citizens, total control over your bank accounts and your purchases, and the ability to silence all dissenting voices for good. Now, before you panic, let me tell you, this is not even a rule. It's not a law. It's an executive order from the president. 
it can be overruled. Macroeconomist Jim Rickards has been warning about this. It's going to happen. A federal currency, a new currency, a digital currency, yada, yada, yada. Now with the launch of Project C to the wheels, they're fully in motion. And I don't think they're going to stop it. Mr. Rickards is one of the world's foremost financial experts. He's been a respected advisor to the CIA, the Pentagon, and multiple U.S. presidents. The way he sees it, this is the start of a sinister new plot against everyday Americans. We're in for a major upheaval of the U.S. dollar, he said. In fact, he said, I predict the third great dollar earthquake has already started. The first was Roosevelt confiscating private gold back in 1934. The second, Nixon abandoning the gold standard in 1971. Now, Rickard says, this plan could pave the way for retiring the U.S. dollar and replacing it with a disturbing new alternative. Not trying to scare you, just trying to keep you in the loop of all the things that are really going on. We're talking about our federal government, folks. We know there's a bunch of stuff happening out there and a bunch of things that are planned that our government is already done, is doing today, and will do tomorrow because they're power junkies. They're power brokers, and they want to be in total control of what drives the world in every area so they can tell us all what to do and what we can't do. It's called our money. Now more than ever, you need the truth. Real news. Real truth. TNN. The Truth News Network. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships. Like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up. Dear Daddy. Dear Mom. I love you. I miss you. Every year, Snowball Express honors the children of fallen soldiers. Hi, everybody. I'm Tony Orlando. Join me in proudly supporting Snowball Express, a nonprofit that creates opportunities to help heal the children of our fallen heroes. We can never repay the sacrifice our soldiers have made, but we can honor them by giving back to their children. Donate now at snowballexpress.org. In the next few minutes that we have left, some interesting news has come out in the last, I guess, 30, 40 minutes that you need to know about. Microsoft, big Microsoft, big, big, big company. They're cutting 10,000 jobs, 10,000 jobs, doing it in response to decreasing demand after the pandemic. The announcement comes after tens of thousands of job cuts across the technology sector. These layoffs are a response to decreased spending in cloud computing 
after the pandemic, Microsoft said. First, as we saw customers accelerate their digital spend during the pandemic, we're now seeing them optimize their digital spend to do more with less. This also, this move holds for organizations that are all fearing of impacted by a recession. Recession, we're not in a recession. Well, we may see one. We may be in like a little one, but we're not in a full-blown recession. We're going to look back in just a few weeks, months, maybe a couple of years, and the experts are going to say, well, we were in a recession. When big companies, big tech companies especially, start shelling people, getting rid of jobs, you know something's up. And something is up. Our economy is struggling right now. Just happened. Alec Baldwin, the actor, has been charged with involuntary manslaughter in that fatal shooting on the set of Rust. He was charged with two counts of involuntary manslaughter in the death of Helena Hutchins. Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, who was the armorer of the film Rust, was also charged with two counts of involuntary manslaughter. Helena's family thanked the sheriff's office and the district attorney after the charges were announced. We want to thank the Santa Fe Sheriff and the district attorney for concluding their thorough investigation and determining that charges for involuntary manslaughter are warranted for the killing of Alina Hutchins with conscious disregard for human life. That's a statement that came out from the attorney representing these people. Assistant Dave Halls signed a plea agreement for a charge of negligent use of a deadly weapon. The terms of that agreement included a suspended sentence, six months of probation, the district attorney announced. No charges were filed in the non-fatal shooting of director Joel Souza. Wow. After a thorough review of the evidence in the laws of the state of New Mexico, I've determined there is sufficient evidence to file criminal charges against Alec Baldwin and other members of the Russ film crew. The DA explained that Baldwin and Gutierrez-Reed were charged in the alternative. This means that a jury will decide not only if the two are guilty, but will also decide which definition of involuntary manslaughter their actions fall under. If any one of these three people, Alec Baldwin, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, or David Halls, had done their job, Helena Hutchins would be alive today. It's that simple. Wow, you thought, Alec Baldwin thought, a lot of people thought Alec Baldwin and the crew were innocent. But apparently, people in New Mexico, law enforcement people in New Mexico disagree. There's another little goodie that popped up coming out of Davos, Switzerland this morning. The United States will soon follow Europe in implementing laws against so-called hate speech. That's coming from a top Eurocrat that 
This was claimed at the World Economic Forum's meeting this morning. The Vice President for Values and Transparency for the European Commission. Her name is Vera Jourova. She predicted that hate speech laws will be imposed upon the American public despite long-standing case law at the Supreme Court that protects that speech under the First Amendment. Illegal hate speech, she said, which you will have soon also in the U.S., I think that we have a strong reason why we have this in the criminal law. She's from Czechoslovakia. She previously served as the European Commissioner for Justice, Consumers, and Gender Equality. She made the comments during that World Economic Forum panel hosted by former CNN host, why would he be in Davos, Switzerland, Brian Stelter. And the panel was discussing the clear and present danger of disinformation. The choice of Stelter may be viewed by some as ironic given his own relationship with the truth. It's real simple. He doesn't believe in it. (laughs) I can't say it any simpler than that. Representative Moulton on the panel seemingly agreed with the statement from the European Union Commission VP telling her, I think in general the U.S. has a lot to learn in terms of data regulation, internet regulation, You're way ahead of us in that regard. But the Democrat politician later clarified he did not believe that American politicians were ready to forsake the fundamental aspects of the freedom of speech. The comments from Jarova came in the middle of the backdrop of the ongoing dispute between the EU and new Twitter boss Elon Musk They're fussing over his publicly stated commitment to free speech, which has ruffled the feathers over in Brussels, Belgium, the headquarter. Brussels, Belgium is where the EU is headquartered. Jarova herself commented on the matter on Tuesday, saying that the platform should partner with the EU on combating hate speech and disinformation, saying... We need the platforms to work with the language to identify such cases. She said the EU laws surrounding online speech will be enforced, saying they apply to Twitter regardless of who owns it. Musk should not underestimate our efforts to make big platforms responsible. Now, why am I bringing you this story to end the show today? It's simply to point out this meeting, this world economic forum that takes place every winter in Davos, Switzerland, don't blow it off. Don't blow off that it actually exists and how powerful these people are. You just heard an example of it. They're basically dismissing, dismissing our First Amendment and our U.S. Constitution that guarantees free speech. They don't believe that. And they're saying, you just heard it, I quoted her, ah, the U.S. is going to come around. Sooner or later, they're going to start thinking just like we do. And they're going to label disinformation. And they're going to stop it, those evil Americans. They just don't know what we do. That's a wrap on TNN Live for Thursday. You guys have a great day. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you tomorrow, 9 a.m. I got a feeling. 
Top. Top. 